Hey, it's Bonnie Miller. And Chris Long. And you're listening to PaintCast. This podcast comes to you uncensored and ad-free. And if you'd like to support us, find us on Instagram at Bonnie Miller Art and at Long underscore Painter and buy a painting. You know you want to. And if you'd like to see us and special guest artists paint side by side, check us out on YouTube channel PaintCast Podcast. Thanks. And don't forget to rate and subscribe. Hey, Ben Hamburger. How's it going? Hey, man. I'm good. Glad to be here with you. Yeah, so um, this is kind of a like an audio interview podcast where I'm just talking to different painters that I have known over the years or that I have contact with through social media uh, online. And we first met each other in New Orleans. That's correct, yep. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't recall. I had maybe two shows that were maybe like one night showings that I had. Um, one was on Decatur Street. And I know that you were there for that. I remember you talking to me about um, pieces of sky color. And then I think I remember you at the night market. Yeah. Uh, when it opened and you were doing live portraits out there, you were actually, um, having people sit for you. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you remember any of that? Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, my four and a half years in new Orleans is a big blur. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, well, it, that's how it is for a lot of people. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah, I remember that for sure. When I was down there, I was a fan of your work. I had come across it several times uh, and could tell you're a badass painter. And then, yeah, I was, I did the night market on Frenchman for a while, um, just doing these kind of speed portraits. And it was really interesting because it was like, good practice painting. I had to try to knock out these portraits quickly, but it was also, I just have such drunk people coming and trying their best to stay still and spilling yeah. drinks and just like these insane interactions. So it became sort of like a performance thing where I'd be out there, drunk people would come up and it always does. Yeah. Um, actually now I think I'm recalling, being next to you one evening and there being a group watching you paint one of the women who sat and they kept leaning on my table uh-huh. and they kept like leaning up against my stuff. And we saw each other a few times and I was just kind of laughing and I would, I'd kind of throw my eyes to where their asses were all over my table, kind of <laughs> messing stuff up. And <laughs> yeah. I, I think you laughed a few times too, but that kind of thing used to happen every single night. Almost. Yeah, it was hardcore, man. Yeah, but hey, um, I never could actually do that out there. It's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to maybe drew, uh, ugh, drew. I wanted to draw some people's portraits, but um, I only got through maybe a week of it at the French market. Mm-hmm. And I, I did not have your staying power and there was probably no way I could have done the painting part of it because you had a lot of patience, man. A lot of patience. 
Well, it was tough, and and a couple things. Not all of them were good. <laughs> there were some serious <laughs> duds in there for sure. Uh, and the other thing was, I tried to set myself apart from all the people that do caricatures and other stuff that people are familiar with by saying impressionist portrait. So just, yeah. you know, shifting people's expectations a little bit. Uh, but definitely as the night went on, it got weirder and sloppier. I always um, was impressed by your ability to throw on big pieces of color and tone right next to each other really quick when you were doing these. And as you said, like, because the people are constantly moving or talking, um, it's tough to maintain uh, the actual likeness sometimes when there is no true angle. Um, But I always noted that you got in the negative space, the hair, parts of the clothing, uh, almost immediately. And I, I, I was impressed on how fast you were with that and kind of, I'm, I'm not going to say cavalier because you were accurate enough that it always worked out, but not you definitely, well, you, you definitely got it down there. And mm. um, I, I've seen people paint portraits in other cities um, like I think Portland, somewhere in Florida, um, and where else was I? I was somewhere in Maine and someone was doing impressionist type portraits too. And they were using kind of um, the eye socket shadow kind of bullseye method of starting with one area and kind of uh, counterclockwise or clockwise swirling their way out with hmm. pieces of paint. Mm-hmm. And um, it looked like it was going to take them forever and those people were just as like squirrely and it was like two in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you done any of those portraits? Uh, have you done like portraits like that since in other cities? Uh, so I, since then, yes, I've done it okay. a couple of times um, traveling, but, a, but a while ago, this was like probably, t- I don't know. What are we talking? 2013, 14, yeah, uh, it was at least five years ago. Yeah, so I haven't done it for a while. Um, yeah. And I feel like that was some good uh, kind of uh, exercise for me. Like, that was mm. some good muscle strengthening uh, and certainly some cool and funny memories. Um, but probably not something that I'll go back to doing, like, for a living. Yeah. Well, um, please, because... I have seen your Instagram, <coughs> excuse me, posts, and I know that you've been uh, in Baltimore area, right? Yeah, Baltimore for a little while. Yeah, at, at, at some point. And then um, you were doing some things somewhere else. And uh, could you, like, give me a real quick refresher on what you've been up to, like, the different places that you've been? Yeah, for sure. So I I moved out of New Orleans to Baltimore um, okay. for grad school, and I did a community arts MFA program at MICA, uh, Maryland Institute of College of Arts. So that was like an interdisciplinary program. Um, I really hung on to painting 
but um, it was it was pretty interesting. It was all about community engaged art. Um, I did this uh, thesis project while I was there, where I painted on old scraps of buildings that were torn down in this neighborhood as it was being redeveloped. And I actually did portraits on on those uh, scraps of buildings. So that was a big project. Um, all about you know ways that art can interface with communities, people um, talk about social issues and activism and um, all that stuff. So that so so Baltimore was awesome for me. I was there for two and a half, three years, um, and then moved with my partner Kelly, who's in med school, to Chapel Hill, mm-hmm. and now we're in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I actually know a few different people who have moved to Asheville from New Orleans who were out at the night market. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, uh, I know a uh, jewelry designer and another painter who decided to become an herbalist who was out um, at the art garden. And uh, yeah. Her name cool. is Jess. Her name was Jess. Uh, she, I, I don't know if she paints anymore, but I, I think she's like a, like a full blown like herbalist, making tinctures and things like my wife does. So. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, man. You just put us in touch. I'm, you know, we've been here for about a year, but I'm still looking for buddies. Yeah, I, 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 I think there's one more person too. Asheville seems to be um, a, a big draw for people who still want to be somewhat southern but would rather not deal with some of the madness yeah i um we moved here because kelly's doing part of her med school here but i can see why it's so appealing a lot of people are moving here and it's it's just lovely the weather's good it's it's a chill place to be it's you know it's it's nice i get it what do you think of the uh the gallery scene there is there any kind of market type of thing that happens there is it just like a gallery um it's definitely a very unique art economy here yeah art ecosystem i'll say and i and being kind of new here i don't really feel like i know it well enough to speak on it with affirmation but uh there are very few commercial galleries here um that are you know pretty exclusive and hard to get into, but do really well. Uh-huh. Um, and then there are lots of studios and artist studios that have a gallery component to them. Um, and oh, gotcha. There's tons here, and those really run the gamut from uh, really commercial kind of uh, tourist-driven stuff. Um, to some really amazing artists, everything under the sun. Um, but yeah, the, the warehouses here have been all turned into artist studios. So um, there's a major scene, but it's it's kind of a weird one. Hmm. I have been through that area. I've gotten gas in Asheville. I think I've stayed at an RV park close too, but I don't think I've ever actually like walked around or seen any of that. Um, I was told when I was in Charleston that Asheville had kind of a similar gallery 
situation. But I, uh, I don't find that true. I don't think so. Oh, yeah? Okay. Charleston has a ton of galleries um, that are like, yeah, like a, a lot of galleries that are that are all very diverse, but like commercial galleries down okay. that you can go check out. I feel like Asheville has very few of those. I mean, it's a smaller place in general. Yeah. Uh, and then just studios, so people like doing their own thing. Hmm. Um, hey, um, yeah. one place that we have actually both been often, because I see that you've done a lot of landscape paintings there, is Joshua Tree National Park. Yeah, man. Love it there. Yeah. So tell me how you got there. Like, So um, I was accepted to an artist residency there called uh, Joshua Tree Highlands Artist Residency. Um, I can't recommend it enough. It was like incredible. Um, I, you know, I applied, uh, like I do for a ton of things and get rejected from, and I got accepted. I was like, holy shit, but still didn't really know what to expect. But I packed up and drove out there. I'd never been to Joshua tree. Um, it was a seven week residency Okay. and they put me up in this like gorgeous little, uh house um small house with a studio on the same property about the same size as the house and they were just like go for it do your thing uh and it was a pretty wild experience because i was more solitary than i've been before in a long time out in this alien landscape uh with nothing to do but make and think and wander yeah yeah that place uh definitely has some uh like big acres and acres of land where you cannot get a signal either so um it's one of the few places that we go where if we stay by joshua tree we have to stay really close to the highway or else anywhere in our signal like drops off completely yeah it's an interesting part about going there because yeah. it's huge and you have no signal and there's this like little like scary part when you lose your signal you're like that's it if anything <laughs> happens yeah. and cut off but it's like man that's how it was for so long. Yes. I yeah and I, I don't know why but I keep having to remind myself like I grew up in the late 80s early 90s so I should totally be used to going places with other people and not having like a Star Trek communication device mm-hmm. next to me. But when I don't have it, there's a certain amount of paranoia that sets in. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And um, I think the last time we were there, I went to go dump our tanks in our motor home somewhere. And then my wife and daughter's, were in the car and they were driving somewhere else and we lost contact for about three hours and mm. they were somewhere in Joshua tree. I was somewhere in Joshua tree and it was really bizarre and it was fun for like the first 10 minutes mm-hmm. <laughs> because, but then the, the novelty sort of wore off, but yeah. I, I would really like to just go there and paint, um, by myself at some point, uh-huh. maybe in the next half century, if I get around to it. 
Yeah. And, but I, I was able to take a bunch of photos and I did um, a short series of work. And believe it or not, like the first time when I got back to New Orleans and then set up at the night market, like all uh, six or seven of my Joshua Tree paintings were gone that same weekend. Nice. And yeah, it, it just seems to be like um, a universal place where people really connect with that part of the country they connect with that sort of landscape and yeah. it's so kind of martian in a way absolutely so um what was it like at night where you were out there were you in the kind of situation where you could go outside and you could actually see the milky way because oh, that's yeah, yeah it, it's one of the only places i think um in the southern half of California where you're far enough away from city lights where you can see the Milky Way. Yeah. Oh man. It was, it was incredible. I was in this little house. The house was actually right outside the park. So it okay. wasn't in the national park. It was right outside. Um, but the house was on like an acre or something of that landscape. And yeah, man, I just wander around, go lay in the washes, um, you know, the sandy stream. Yeah, yeah in the water and just kind of lay there and stare um and the winds would get wild pretty often too uh but it, it, it is such a alien and inspiring place it was cool the the residency is pretty obviously connected in the um creative scene there so they kind of introduced us the resident artists to some some local artists there and just kind of getting a sense of the the number of people that are impacted by this place or drawn to it for various reasons was really cool. And visual artists, musicians, all sorts of people, um, I think just draw a lot of energy from, from that place. And, and like you, I saw people react to my paintings in a, in a particular powerful way too. Mm. How many uh, pieces did you create during that Say, shoot a lot. So I, I was there working. You posted a lot. Yeah, um, I worked on these really large scale paintings of people, um, sort of weird, distorted figures that I kind of thought of as rock formations or landscapes or uh, something like that. So I was working on these really big paintings, um, you know, five feet or so. And then at the same time, I have my little, my small canvases uh, and panels where I do these studies. So I'd knock out, you know, three to four small paintings a day and then spend hours in there working on the bigger paintings as well. Um, so I probably got done, you know, 30 pieces or so. Uh, right. Yeah. Now... Those rock formation people, uh, is, is that part of the impetus? I mean, is that what informed the pieces that I see um, in the gallery setting that you have now, where they're these kind of elongated, uh, either clothed or nude figures that are sort of uh, trapped within the confines yeah. of whatever space you have? Yeah, exactly. Um... I started just kind of playing around with uh, 
with distorting the figure. And, and it came from this idea of as people were always trying to grow, trying to reach for something different, uh, and necessarily so, but somehow confined in some way, um, whether that be our surroundings, social constructs, or our own minds. So it's about like pushing the boundaries of, of, of your constraints. And that was kind of the impetus for this. And then aesthetically, I started thinking about ways I could um, completely come up with a design and then fill in a representation of the human form within that design. So you see like lots of loops and stuff like that. And I drew a lot of inspiration from that, from rock formations, from just like a game I'd like to play, where a lot of people do, where you look at the rocks and you try to find things in the rocks. Yeah. And then I wanted to embed in those figures the same sense of like power and mass that I got from these big natural sculptures out there. Okay. That's really interesting. Um, the part of uh, like having the shape first and then sort of uh, finding the figure afterwards. Um, I, I'm reminded of something that my father taught me when I was young uh, how to do with crayons. I guess he and his cousins did it when they were growing up in Connecticut. Um, in the early to mid fifties, um, they would get, uh, like old pieces of boxes and the backs of, uh, paper or sometimes even newspaper. And they would, uh, with a crayon, just kind of scribble all over the place. And they would just make these big kind of, um, pieces of scribble. Mm -hmm. And then they would each get a color crayon and they would try to um, use the existing shapes and color in and make different animals, mm -hmm. and objects, and sort of find those things. So I, I remember my father um, showing my brother and I what he used to do with that. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It, it just it, it reminded me of that. No, I think that's a great reference. It's, it's pretty similar. Um, okay. I I'd start off by doing kind of sketches with just India ink and yeah. um, just doing these really like gestural things with India ink and then looking at photos of these people and then kind of trying to loosely draw in a form of the figure uh, based on some of those gestural kind of scribbles that I did. And then from there, with the with this drawing of some sort of warped figure and the photograph, I'd move on to the canvas. Um, and kind of try to fuse those two together. Okay. Um, oh, I, I wanted to ask you something about um, your... You mentioned earlier that when you got to Baltimore, you did um, paintings on pieces of buildings. Yeah. Um, what were the pieces that looked like they were... Uh, did you actually paint on... Uh, like pieces of plaster that were attached to wood? Yeah, sort of. So um, row homes in Baltimore, a lot of row homes in Baltimore and in Philadelphia actually are covered with this stuff known as formstone. And it's, um, it's like concrete attached to a wire mesh that would be stuck onto uh, brick in the shape of 
stones. There were these prefabricated things to make it look like the exterior of row homes were made of stones. Uh, and I think it was like, it was a thing in like the seventies and eighties. Um, and in this neighborhood where I was working and living, um, there was these massive redevelopment projects. And so I, like a lot of places in the United States, there's this tension and this clash of longtime residents, um, feeling disregarded, uh, um, in the new plans and development that's happening in their neighborhoods, uh, new residents coming in, different visions for the place. So um, they're not, they were knocking down uh, huge um, blocks of row homes. And um, the formstone is very outdated and isn't being used anymore. So there are these huge chunks of formstone laying around. Uh, and I started picking them up and messing around with painting on them. And what, I, what the project turned into was I would interview residents of the neighborhood um, uh, describing their experience with the change that's happened and their memories of what the place was. And um, I interviewed them and then painted their portrait on this formstone and uh, made a SoundCloud site where you could look at the portrait and click on uh, the portrait to hear the, the audio of the interview. Nice. Uh, now, are, are those still available? No, I ended up gifting those to each of the people that contributed to the project. Okay. Um, I got I, w I got a couple little grants to do the project, and I showed it in a few places around town, and it exists digitally now. Um, but each of the people that participated now has their portrait, which is pretty cool because it's on this old part of uh, what the neighborhood used to be. Yeah. Well, I think it was right about the time that you started to do that. I started to um, really like heavily paint over old pieces I had. Mm -hmm. And I was really getting into uh, a groove of painting um, larger works to bring out to the market. And then I had this notion that if they didn't work out for a night or two, I would just go out and put a heavy, like in the afternoon, put a heavy, um, because I, they were mostly acrylic. I would put a heavy coat of more acrylic paint on top and just sort of um, like trowel it on. And mm -hmm. then I would start and paint a brand new piece on top of that, see if that connected with anyone. And if that didn't sell, I would go and within a day or two, do the exact same thing and then i started to have this build up where it kind of looked like the board was taken off of an old piece of architecture uh -huh. because some areas were really really kind of naughty and thick and disgusting yeah and um i kind of really got into it and yeah. that was where i sort of um began thinking that paintings pieces that were just strictly 2D um, could have a three-dimensional sort of past life as other, uh, as other paintings, as other like visual representations. Um, so you could do multiple pieces on one piece. Yeah. And then the person who really enjoyed the piece on top 
it, it'd be sort of like they knew that just like when you were painting on the old pieces of building and they had their stories. I mean, I, I kind of had my story of extreme ADHD, you know, just, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's, you know, that's texture. That's what texture does in work. It, it, yeah. um, it brings all of that to the piece. And I, and I think it's, it's interesting too, because I really like painting on top of old paintings and it gets better and better the the more paintings you've done on top of it. And I find it's something that I can't fake. Like I can't take a new canvas and try to, you know, use some medium to make an interesting texture and then have fun painting on top of it. It doesn't work for me. I got to just. That's a really interesting point. Off. Yeah. I, I totally agree with that too. Like um, there has to be the kind of, accident the chaos the entropy that goes into your reasoning for painting over the piece in the first place you know yeah um you're you're only creating by the process of destroying and it's it's kind of a neat kind of really literal way to go about doing it mm -hmm. now do you ever um burn your work or just flat out like break it up and throw it away? Like, do you have a process for recycling pieces? No, I think I try to paint over pieces as much as possible. Okay. Um, I've had some embarrassing little fits where I've stabbed a canvas and <laughs> threw it. Uh, yeah, so there's a, there's a bunch of times where I'll, where I'll take the canvas off and re-stretch a piece. Um, but generally okay. I try as much as possible to just paint over things. Yeah. You know, I think that maybe is one of the reasons I'm not so keen on painting on linen or canvas. Mm -hmm. Um, I paint with a lot of painting knives mm -hmm. and in the back of my mind, I always am cautious, uh, because sometimes I don't know my own forcefulness mm -hmm. when I'm putting paint on yeah. and I feel as though when I'm working on especially a larger canvas or a piece of linen that I, I'm just going to rip the shit out of the surface yeah. and that I, I won't be able to repair it and I think that's why I mostly choose to paint on panels like wood panels or like a composite uh, gessoed masonite surface it's because yeah. um, I, I can push and there is no real give to it. Right. And I, I don't feel as though I'm going to have an unhappy accident. Yeah. Do you paint with knives? Or Not do you mostly just much. use brushes? Yeah, okay. I don't paint with knives too much. You know, it's something that I've actually been thinking about. I'm trying to push myself in different directions with paint application now. So using like different brushes than I'd normally use and getting into knives, but, but I don't very much, uh, with, with knives. I don't feel so comfortable. I have, and I, and I do a little bit. Yeah. Now, do you mostly paint with oil or are you kind of acrylic too? Both. I'd say mostly oil. Okay. Uh, I, I definitely paint with acrylics. I, I do a good bit of acrylic underpainting 
So yeah. slapping down some blocks of color and then figuring it out with oil paint on top. Um, I'm into that. Yeah. Um, I ask because when I saw you working out in public, I, I remember your colors being a little bit more uh, intense. Uh-huh. And um, you tend to, in your most recent things I've seen of yours online, you tend to have a lot more grayscale. Huh. Uh, there, there tends to be um, more of your larger pieces have a lot of uh, finer shifts uh-huh. of tone in them. Is that something that ha- has just come from switching to doing like primarily oil? Is it just something that has come over time? Yeah, I think probably it does have to do with oil. I get, uh, you know, more subtle gradations with oil paint uh, and colors just meld together more. I think back at the market, I was just working in acrylic. And so you kind of slap it on and it dries and you either paint over it or paint next to it. Um, So those initial colors remain really vibrant. And I mean, that's something that I'd like to bring back into my work um, to some degree. I mean, that's the thing that I like about acrylic paint um, that it, that it kind of makes me leave things and decide what to do with it. Uh, so yeah, I think it is an oil paint thing. Yeah. Hey, are, are you going anywhere? Uh, do you have any plans to maybe take, uh, some sort of day trip or, uh, do you have anything planned for this summer to go paint anywhere? Or are you just sticking around the Asheville area? Yeah. So, well, I'll start off by saying I had my whole summer planned down to the day. Me too, man. All <laughs> spring, all summer, all events. And they were all canned. Yeah, it was like a, it was like a perfect puzzle I had planned. I, I had planned to go down to New Orleans and do a residency at Hotel 77 where they – but anyway, that oh, yeah, was yeah. the point. Uh, so now I was fortunate enough to, I just went and saw a family who rented a house in Martha's Vineyard where I'd never been. So I was up there for about two weeks, um, and wandering around that beautiful place painting. Uh, I road tripped up there and back. So that was kind of my big COVID trip. So Uh, you had never been to Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard before? Right, never been. Oh, wow. So, oh, where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I, for some reason, I thought that you grew up, like, in New England somewhere. No. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I went to uh, the Vineyard and Nantucket almost every single summer when really? I was growing up. Yeah, because my grandmother used to rent a house on the Cape. Uh-huh. Uh, close to the national seashore and uh, one of those days my parents and my grandparents and everyone would just kind of all go for a whale watch or we'd take the ferry across to either Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard and spend the entire day walking around and as a kid I enjoyed the place but it was like I had to wait as they went into all the different stores and did all the kind of tourist summer 
time things. And I've only gotten to go back once as an adult. And yeah, I, I, I've been wanting to go back there and paint. Um, maybe only just because there's a certain amount of nostalgia for being yeah. there in the late eighties. Yeah. When, um, yeah, it, it was very small and, um, yeah, it, it was really cool. So I love this vineyard. I wasn't expecting to like it as much as I did. I thought it was a really special place. How long are you, are you planning on being there for? Well, I'm back now. I just got back a couple of days ago. I was there for two oh, weeks. Okay. Oh, you were there for two weeks? Yeah. Did you get work done? Yeah, yeah. I did um, a bunch of little paintings there, little plain air oh, okay. pieces. Nice. Where were you near? Were you near the Edgartown place? Or? So my parents rented a house on a farm in what's known as West Tisbury. Um, it okay. Was, yep. It's like, yeah, it was, it was country. It was remote. Um, so yeah. it was the perfect place to hold up during coronavirus. Uh, but... Yeah, I, I just spent my days kind of driving around looking for places to post up and paint. Yeah. And there was an endless amount of beautiful oh, yeah. spots there. And a pretty cool artistic uh, history there. There's a lot of artists. Oh, indeed, yeah. Um, the, if I'm not mistaken, um, a few miles away is the beach where all the surfers go. Mm-hmm. The sounds yeah. like- I, I, I don't know if you were able to see that, but um, they get some pretty uh, interesting um, waves uh, certain parts of the year. And I, I know there are surfers on Martha's Vineyard, as well as areas of Rhode Island, too, which huh. I came to find out years later. Oh, cool. But yeah, um, I, I remember going for a lot of drives, uh, and it was mostly like overgrown, marshy farmland. And pretty awesome i i remember a lot of flowers too yeah it's just a really cool uh ecosystem there yeah you gotta get back definitely yeah um so okay are there other spots around the country that you have in the back of your mind that you want to go maybe plein air paint or just kind of go for a week or two and kind of experience hmm. um man a lot of places i want to be like you chris i and and i ask because i'm doing that ego thing where i'm like hey ben i've been everywhere around and i'm going to tell you all about whatever place you pick that's good that's good uh yeah i'm open for tips you know since i'm since we've been here kind of in north carolina i've been interested in going to the georgia sea islands georgia sea isles i've never been there but i think there's some interesting spots off the coast of georgia um not even necessarily like to go paint i just want to check them out i mean i will paint Mm -hmm. but um that's that's piqued my interest um but it's hard now, you know, to make any plans. I think that's the hardest thing about it's, this. It's super tough. I feel, yeah. Do you have, like, backup activities? Do you have other um, things that you do when you travel to these places? I mean, we can't only just paint. I know it's kind of um, 
a job and a, an obsession too, but do you have any like things that you do outdoors or anything? Oh, for sure. I mean, well, so I guess I'll go back to, cause it's different everywhere that I've been cause I'm doing yeah. different things. Like most recently I was with my family. So I was hanging out with my niece and just like laying around and chilling for a lot of the time. But in Joshua tree, it was this really interesting learning curve. Cause I was all by myself. And at the beginning I was like, I got to make this worth it. Like they gave me this amazing opportunity. Like I got to bust my ass in here, you know? Mm-hmm. And I had to learn throughout my time there that it was super important for me to leave the studio all day for some days and just wander because that's where you, that's where you get your energy, you know? Um, so I did, I did a good bit of hiking there and wandering around, went rock climbing a couple times. And, you know, I think you, I get to know the place in a way by painting it, but I also get to know the place by not looking for any kind of particular outcome or experience and just wandering and being there physically. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um, what about teaching? Do you do that? Yeah. Do you do like that's... workshops and stuff? Yeah. So that's what I was going to mention. Now that I'm back here, um, I, I teach at Western Carolina University now, adjunct. All right. Um, and so I have the hellish task of trying to figure out how the, how the hell I'm going to um, put together a hybrid drawing course, partially in person and partially online. Good and luck with that. Thank you. And the all online art appreciation class. So that's what's got me busy now. I'm just trying to sit down and figure that out. Um, but I also do workshops. I've, I've done workshops frequently um, over the years, and that's been really great for me. I've kind of um, built up a number of students in North Carolina that like coming to my workshops, which has been great. So since I moved from Chapel Hill to here, there are some people that like to travel up here and take the workshops. And since COVID started, I started doing Zoom stuff. I avoided it for a long time and I started doing them. And I've been doing like one or two a month. Um, and yeah. they've been good. They've been pretty good. Yeah, since, uh, since the pandemic, I've, uh, I've actually accepted, which I, I never thought I would because really I, I can't stand doing workshops or teaching. I'll mm-hmm. do it. But it's it's just not my thing. I did so many years of it as a sculptor. Yeah, I ta- I taught high school for one year in like 2007. Yeah, and I did uh, like uh, some c- curriculum program for a museum. I went and I was a tutor in Vermont, and I I just had like over a decade of kind of pieced together um, workshop and teaching mm-hmm. jobs and when I got out of it, I just sort of said to myself, you know, I'm going to see if I can go without it. Like how long I can go without feeling the need to kind of put that in to my basket of like, um, money-making tricks, you know, because 
that is definitely a good source of income, especially when you move or when you're in between like um, certain uh, grants or gigs or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I just started taking some students on too, and I do Skype and the Zoom thing. And I didn't expect it to go as well as it has. Good. Um, Have you noticed that people are, or at least the students that you have now, um, that you do the Zoom or the Skype thing with, do you find that they're just a lot friendlier ever since all this happened? And kind of... Because I I, I remember uh, liking a lot of my students, but also having a lot of people who are very kind of curt and not very personable, who... Mm -hmm. I would have in these workshops and classes. And I think absolutely everyone has been great ever since all this happened. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think on Zoom, people are generally, you know, really grateful uh, and eager to have these kinds of experiences. I think it I think it can be really enriching for for people right now. Uh, So that makes sense to me. Um, I mean, I mean, maybe some of them are just trying to behave better because of a lot of things that are happening. I mean, who the hell knows? But yeah, yeah. man, I I feel it's something a little different. Like personally, I feel a lot of gratitude in my day to day. And Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it impacts the way that I uh, communicate with people like the the world's gone to shit. This is really difficult time. People are dying. Like, you gotta be thankful for what you have and recognize you're affecting people's lives by the way that you interact with them. You know, I guess I'm getting that a little more than I did. In Most the- definitely, yeah. And, and I'm super appreciative that the people who have tolerated me and my bizarre idiosyncrasies in person over the years. Uh-huh. have sort of moved onto social media platforms and still kind of have some sort of fondness. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, um, a lot of times um, just having to market yourself and what you do as a valuable skill will... Um, inherently turn it into um, a kind of a quasi sales situation with people sometimes. And there's a certain amount of standoffishness Mm -hmm. and I feel like I no longer need to really sell anybody on anything ever since this happened. Mm. I'm just completely like, Hey, so glad to even be talking to you. Yeah. it's one of those things. Yeah, well, that's great. I mean, Chris, you put out so much content and stuff like this and the and the painting tutorials on YouTube and all that stuff. Like, you, you're an asset, man. You've done a lot for, for all sorts of people. That's very kind of you. I still feel as though I'm just sort of uh, fumbling around and even nine years into this, like there's some mornings I wake up and I I think to myself, you know, you really are a toddler in the game, Chris. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I can't help but feel that way sometimes. Yeah. And I, it's, it's, it's nice to have other people um, at least know that you're trying. So that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Hey, um, about how many hours do you say you spend just on your phone kind of either looking at images or posting things or like communicating with people every day? Ugh, I'd like it to be less than it is. Give it to me straight, Ben. All right, maybe three. Wow. I am guilty of at least eight to nine hours. Damn. Yeah. So I wake up super early in the morning. I'm on Instagram. I'm posting things. I'm texting with people. I'm responding to emails. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Then Mm. I'm listening to some podcasts. I watch an occasional like UFO, uh, like YouTube video. And then (laughs) I'll be listening to music on my phone. And then I look at how much it's been on throughout the day. And mind you, this is when like I'm around my kids too. And even though we're doing things and hopefully they're learning things and I'm going out, like we're going to the national parks that we're around. Mm -hmm. I'm going shopping. I'm making food. Like I still fucking somehow spend nine hours with the phone on. Yeah, it's crazy. And my my three didn't doesn't really account for all you know. I all the time. I got my computer in front of me way more than that. So if oh. you were to combine them, it would be a lot more. Okay, well, uh, that's a little bit more comforting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, what do we do? How, is there what does that do to us? And then I have how do we remedy the- that? <laughs> I have the perfect solution. All right. And this brings me to something else you were doing that I think is really awesome. You were taking old, like broken or beat up cell phones uh-huh. and you're painting on them. You're actually turning them into canvases. Yeah. And yeah, I don't see why more people don't take old kind of, um, obsolete technology and just start to actually create things with it. And maybe I had the notion years and years ago that people would, and it just seems like um, it's more of a disposable commodity now. And they always want you to trade things in because of the batteries inside or people will pay you for specific parts. Um, but I, I really like your notion of uh, like collecting the cell phones and doing paintings on. When did that start? Uh, probably like three years ago. Okay. Um, it, it came from this idea, which I think you get, that we're like looking at this weird box for so yeah. much time. Certainly, and, yeah. Um, you know, we paint on random boxes that we hope people spend a lot of time looking at. So uh, why not repurpose this little guy into 
something that you stare at, but it doesn't change at the flick of a thumb. That's right. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been really into that kind of notion lately too. Not so much uh, doing what you've been doing, which is painting on things, but um, being more mindful of the way that I create my images mm-hmm. and how I create them not for the presentation of seeing them on social media. Like I, I'm not creating them so they'll look good in a photo on a scroll, you know, mm-hmm. where people just kind of can zoom in and out with their fingers or just kind of flick it and move it away or they can digitally manipulate it or they can turn their brightness up or whatever and kind of um, alter the painting I'm posting. I'm trying to be more mindful of actually using the layers of paint and the marks of paint to make the original piece um, almost um, unavailable to see the entire thing mm-hmm. through an online format. It's, so it's, it's almost like an experience. Like you have to be there to physically see my painting to get a different aspect or depth of it because yeah. it just won't translate efficiently enough into a screen yeah and that's been a long time coming and um it's been tough because sometimes you well i i I can only speak for myself but sometimes i actually think about like when i'm making something um oh well maybe this whole area here could be a nice flat plane of color so it picks up like blank when it's photographed. Hmm. And uh, sometimes that's completely subconscious that I do that. And other times I kind of, I kind of catch myself doing it. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's really interesting that you're recognizing the impact that all this phone communication has on you. And then you're kind of working to subvert it. Uh, I think that's yeah. cool. Well, it's still a practice. It's uh <laughs> It, 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 it's nowhere near perfected. Hey, um, I actually have uh, five one-word answer interview questions that I would like to throw at you before we wrap this podcast thing up. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's been really awesome talking to you. And great. So, great. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to ask these questions of you, and then... If you can just think for a moment and just give me one word to sort of sum it up. Okay. Yeah? Cool with that? Uh, yeah, I think so. Cool right. going into it. We'll see how it goes. Oh, okay. Let's try it. What's the pigment that gives you the most trouble? <laughs> Pregnant I mean, pause. I guess I'll go with phthalo blue. Okay. What subject inspires you? but is seldom represented in your paintings. Um, I know. Minimalist abstract design. I, that's, that's many words. Well, okay. <laughs> and uh, one word to describe your work over the past 12 months. 
observational. Okay. If you stopped all your creative endeavors tomorrow, what other career would you most likely take up? Food writer. Oh, that's really fascinating. Okay. And last one, what adjective would your peers slash colleagues choose for you? <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's a stickler at the end. I'm thinking all these different people got a lot of different things to say about me. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think <laughs> they would say... <laughs> oh, say about my peers and colleagues. Um, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> I guess uh, I'm going to go with dedicated. I agree 100%, Ben. Awesome. So why don't you tell the listeners how they can view your work online, how they can get in touch with you, like a website. Go for it. Certainly. Um, my website is benhambergerart.com, and you can find me on Instagram at benhambergerart. Um, I'd love to hear from y'all. I'd love to get feedback. I think like you, Chris, we're I'm just wandering around trying to, trying to make it happen, trying to figure out what's next, do a little better than I did before. So um, it's, great to, it's great to touch base with you and all sorts of other people interested in the, in the craft and the movement and making things. I'll talk to you later, Ben. Thanks, Chris.